Well, good morning. Welcome to week two of Bible study. Are you excited? (laughs) Are you awake? (laughs) Ezra chapter 3, verses 1 through 11 was our text. Homesick. I'm sure all of us have felt it at some point. That longing for the comforts of home. Many of you know that last year I ended our WBS uh, semester a little bit early because I had my ordination retreat um, the first week of May in Minnesota. But not many of you know how that trip went. (laughs) Um, It was our first big family trip. Kaylee was barely one, so I decided that I couldn't be without her, so she was coming with me. And it was going to be her first flight, and so um, we really, like, researched and prepared how to fly with a baby and all of the things, and I was prepared and over-prepared. Boy, was I in for a surprise. Uh, We got on our flight, and Kaylee immediately threw up red Gatorade all over the people next to me. (laughs) Um... I hoped that maybe this was just a fluke. She got car sick on the way to the airport, but oh no, this was the stomach flu. So on our flight, um, Kaylee threw up many times, and she got weaker and weaker, and I panicked more and more. And um, during that trip, instead of going on my retreat, I too got the stomach flu, Because, you know, it's so contagious. (laughs) And um, then, of course, Christopher got it as well. And so during that trip, um, we visited urgent care three times. Uh, Kaylee spiked crazy fevers. And of all things, Christopher got bit by a tick, which we never left our hotel room, so that's a little creepy. But... um, (laughs) It left some weird mark on his arm, so he had to go in to be tested for Lyme disease, which thankfully he didn't have. But, I mean, this trip was like a comedy of errors. It was just everything that could go wrong went wrong. Um, But I thought we wouldn't make it home. I thought, there's no way. We were at urgent care the day before. We're not making it home. I was getting ready to drive home from Minnesota. Um, But thankfully, we did. And I just cannot explain to you how wonderful it felt when we walked in our doors. (laughs) How just wonderful it feels to lay back down in your own bed after something like that. And so that trip, which I can laugh about now a a little bit, um, reminded me of just how good it feels to be home. And... I'm sure that you've felt homesick in your life, and you can remember how good it feels when you finally get home, when you lay down in your own bed and you feel that rest again. Frederick Buchner says that home is where you feel that you belong, and it in one sense belongs to you. It's where you feel all is ultimately well, even if not all is well at one given moment. And perhaps this is just a little glimpse into how the exiles felt as they returned home, that place they had longed for, 
the place they had lost due to their own mistakes, home. Before we dive in, let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are our waymaker, miracle worker, and promise keeper, and that you are home to us. God, that you give us a sense of belonging like nothing in this world can. Lord, would you speak to our hearts this morning? May I just be your mouthpiece, Father, and open our eyes and our ears to what you want to speak to us, God. Be in our midst. Let us hear from you. In your name I pray, amen. So the people of God had been in exile in Babylon for many years, and they're now able to return and rebuild the temple. In this fantastic sermon by David Bisgrove, he talked about the place that they were returning. It was called by the Persians, the place beyond the river. For the Persians, this is just their way of describing where it is on the map, but For the Jews, it's an ironic, painful metaphor that represented the story of their lives. Bisgrove points out that this was a place they had longed for in exile, a place beyond the Jordan River. It had marked their identity. This was the place that God had promised Abraham. It was the place secured for them through the faithfulness of Moses and through the courage of Joshua. And it's a place they lost in their foolishness in rejecting God over and over again. They lost this place where they knew who they were because they knew whose they were. This place beyond the river is the longing of every human heart, the longing for home. So when David Bisgrove spoke this sermon, they were just coming back from COVID. They're still completely masked, social distancing. And I thought what he had to say relates so well with how I believe we still feel today. He said this, part of what we have in our own community and in our city is a deep hunger for a place beyond the river. As we reimagine to rebuild, we're not just trying to get back to normal. This is about the place where heaven and earth kisses. It's a place where you find rest, where you know who you are because you know whose you are. This is home, and it's the longing of every human heart. You see, as we talk about restoration this semester, I hope that our goal isn't just to get back to normal, but to get to an even better place. Instead, I hope that our goal is to rely on God so much more than before. I hope that it is to rely on his word in a new way, to not forget his faithfulness and his control to base our lives wholly on the gospel truth of who he says he is and who he says you are. To be united even more as the people of God. Well, as I mentioned last week, during their time without a temple, they didn't have any way to offer sacrifices for forgiveness. 
The burden of guilt must have been so heavy. So that's why it's the first thing they do. Let's read it, verses 1 through 3. It says, When the seventh month came, and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, son of Josadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates, began to build the altar of God to, of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the people around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifices. Verse 1 is so refreshing. God had scattered his people, but now he gathers them together as one, it says. He scattered his people in judgment, but now he gathers them together in unity. And now, before even the materials were ordered for the temple, they build an altar. As they returned, there was this urgent need to establish priorities, and so they reestablished regular worship. They were careful about every detail, it assures us, trying to do everything as it is written, it says. They were establishing obedient, orderly worship because they were determined, absolutely determined, that the temple would not be the idolatrous shrine that it had become before, the shrine from which Yahweh had departed. They want to do it differently this time. And they realized that the greatest danger they faced was their own sin. It wasn't easy to approach God at this time, for he can't be in the presence of sin. And so burnt offerings turned aside God's wrath against sin. It was their substitute. So during a burnt offering, what they would do is the person who offered the sacrifice would lay their hands on the animal first. And that would, that would make it so it was accepted on their behalf and they were identifying with this animal. Then they, not the priest, would slaughter it. The priest would then display its parts and it would be completely consumed by the fire. This symbolized the complete offering of the worshiper and also the complete acceptance of the Lord. The fire should have fallen on the person who sinned, but the animal took their place. You see, it was sin that drove them into exile in the first place. So as they return, they deal with their sin first. Now, God, thankfully, has provided the perfect substitute for us. So we don't have to do these sacrifices anymore. Aren't you grateful for that? However, sin is still a serious thing. I think this text is a reminder that we're supposed to take it seriously. This is why every month here at Glenkirk as the body of Christ, we as believers take communion together. We remember together as a united body of believers that Christ took our punishment. He was our perfect substitute. His body was broken, and his blood was shed in our place. 
but also individually. I don't know about you, but I am terrible about personal confession. I used to do this prayer practice every day, and at the end of the day, you were supposed to take time for personal confession. It was a time for you to go through your day, notice the times that you blew it, ask for forgiveness, humble yourself, and then receive that forgiveness. But somehow that was always the part that I forgot. So the Christian life is meant to be one of daily repentance. Forgive us this day, our, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. Do we confess our sins daily? One commentary I read said that only as we only as we are conscious of grace can we truly serve God. That's why confession is so important. So they started with burnt offerings, but they didn't stop there. They then went on to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Let's read that in verses 4 through 6. It says, Then in accordance with what was written, they celebrated the Festival of Tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. After that, they presented the regular burnt offerings the new moon sacrifices, and the sacrifices for all the appointed sacred festivals of the Lord, as well as those brought as free will offerings to the Lord. On the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. So the Feast of Tabernacles, or Feast of Booths, takes 27 verses in Numbers chapter 29, to describe. And yet, once again, they're doing everything in accordance with what is written. During this festival, 71 bulls, 15 rams, 105 lambs, and seven goats were required. It was one of the great pilgrimage festivals lasting seven days from the 15th to the 22nd of the seventh month. And as I said before, they want their new normal to be even better. They're doing everything by the book in order to be taking God's word seriously. Celebrating this festival now is charged with huge significance. It reminds the people of their wilderness wanderings that the Lord was with them when they lived in these temporary shelters as they were brought out of Egypt. It's a time of great rejoicing and thanksgiving and a reminder of God's salvation, his shelter, provision, and his trustworthiness. This is what they do first when they arrive. All of this is done before the foundation of the temple has even been laid. That happens in verses 7 through 9. Let's look at those now. Then they gave money to the masons and carpenters and gave food and drink and olive oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre so that they would bring cedar logs by sea from Lebanon to Joppa, as authorized by Cyrus, king of Persia. In the second month of the second year after the arrival of the house of God in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josadak, and the rest of the people— the priests and the Levites and all who had returned from the captivity to Jerusalem began the work. 
They appointed Levites 20 years old and older to supervise the building of the house of the Lord. Joshua and his sons and brothers and Cadmiel and his sons, descendants of Hodaviah, and the sons of Henadad and their sons and brothers, all Levites, joined together in supervising those working on the house of God. Notice again the attention to detail here in both the appointing of the workers and in the supervision of the work. The emphasis here is on leadership and on a united effort in this project. The Davidic line is represented by Zerubbabel and the priestly by Joshua. Here they begin rebuilding the house of God, showing that his glory has come again to live with his people. And after they lay the foundation, they celebrate, which is verses 10 through 11. It says, When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord, as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love towards Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the Lord was laid. They celebrate with singing. This is the first time they sing. This is the first time that they really have joy. They've laid the foundation of God's house, his home, and so they have joy and a hope for the future. So they sing. Psalm 137, 1 through 6 says this, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept. When we remembered Zion, there on the poplars we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs, our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. So they had not been able to sing before this. They couldn't sing while they were in exile in Babylon, but now they lift up praises to the Lord. Joyful praise. The word good is the word that runs through Genesis 1, speaking of the pleasure of the creator as he rejoices over what he's made. And the word translated love is hesed, or steadfast love. It's specifically God's love as shown in his covenant. They sing for joy because of God's goodness, because of his steadfast love and his faithfulness, as they finally have arrived home. But before we completely conclude this passage, we didn't read to verses 12 and 13, but I think they're significant. It says this, But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud. And when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy, No one could distinguish the sounds of the shouts of joy from the sounds of weeping because the people just made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. 
weeping and joy are mixing together here. Both joy and grief. Isn't that how we feel as well? Both joy and grief. Grief over what we lost. Grief over what happened to our world that we never thought possible. But joy to finally see this chance for restoration. Joy to finally be back together. Many who had seen the former temple wept aloud. This just was not as magnificent. The Ark of the Covenant, like we talked about last week, was not brought in. It looked pathetic. Just a foundation stone. Outwardly, they looked like a shadow of what they once were. But perhaps, perhaps their praises were all the more heartfelt. Perhaps their heartfelt praises were even more pleasing to God than in the glory days of Solomon because now they came from this place of humility and of repentance. May the same be true of us. We may look as a shadow of what we once were, but may our praise be all the more heartfelt. May our joy and our grief mix together into reliance on the Lord. May our praise come from a new place of humility and of repentance. And may we rely on the cross of Christ all the more. The exiles had been without sacrifices and burnt offerings for so long that this was the first thing that they did when they returned. They dealt with their sin. They had lived with that guilt of sin for so long they knew this was the first step. Do we even confess our sins? Yes, we thankfully are Forgiven, we thankfully don't have to offer those sacrifices as they did, but we have the perfect one who is offered in our place. But that very act of confessing our sins humbles us. It reminds us that we need God. It reminds us that he is full of grace. It lays us at his feet and remembers his grace. And this is a daily thing. Perhaps a good application from this passage is daily confession. Daily throwing ourselves at the feet of the Lord and saying we messed up, but thank you so much that you forgive me. And then walking away grateful, knowing that we are cleansed, we are loved, and we are forgiven. This is what the prayer practice I used says for confession. Note the feelings, thoughts, words, actions, and choices throughout the day which have been contrary to God's will for your life in Christ. Be specific. Acknowledge them. Confess them. And accept God's forgiveness. Christ has already paid the price for these sins. Harboring guilt robs Christ of his gift for you. You see, the real foundation was not made of cedar logs. It was the song they sang. He is good. 
His love endures forever. And that is our foundation today. Let that truth work its way deep into your heart today. Pray it over your life. Whatever fear, sorrow, guilt you may carry, he is good. His love towards you endures forever. We need a foundation that is stronger than the circumstances of this world. We need a foundation that transcends the loss and the pain in this world. This is it. Nothing else will do. The longing for the place beyond the river is the longing of every human heart. It's the longing for home. This longing to know who you are because you know whose you are. He is good. His love towards you endures forever. Well, if you've felt that longing inside you, that longing for home that just can't be filled by anything in this world, but you haven't yet taken that step to follow Christ and give yourself wholly to him, or maybe you want to recommit because you felt distance from him lately, you felt a bit lost lately or homesick, this is an opportunity to do that. I'm going to pray a prayer, and you can pray it out loud or in your heart, however you feel comfortable. There are no magic words. You are just responding to the Spirit moving inside you. So let's pray. Lord, we come before you in humility. We have longed for a home for a place of belonging. We recognize that we want that home with you. We have so often sought other things instead of you. We ask for your forgiveness. Forgive us for all the places we have searched that haven't filled that longing. Instead, we come to you to find our home. Thank you that you welcome us with open arms. Thank you that your son, Jesus, died as our perfect substitute. Thank you that we can come to you fully as we are. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer this morning, please talk to your leaders about it. We want to walk with you in this journey, and it's a journey that we're all on, of becoming fully devoted followers of Christ. And, of course, I have a song to close us, and I hope that this song can be our foundation to withstand whatever circumstances are in this world, because he is good. His love towards you endures forever. Let's close with this song. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we praise you this morning. You are good. We know you are good. No matter what we face, no matter what circumstances surround us, Lord, we rely on that truth that you are good. 
that your love towards us endures forever. Lord, I pray that if anyone in this room really needed that to seep into their hearts, that it would, that you would remind them of that as they go throughout their weeks, that you are good and that your love towards them endures forever. Father, be in our midst as we go to our groups. May our discussions be pleasing to you and May it just be a wonderful time together of community and fellowship. And may we support one another. We love and praise you. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks, everyone. There's no longer.